there's plenty of days where it doesn't feel like I've made any progress at all. Like tons of days where I'm like, have I just gone back to the same place? And I think that is worth mentioning too, because a, a lot of people, though people have maybe heard the phrase, feeling's not linear, that just kind of went over my head. Like, oh, that's just another cliche that whatever isn't that helpful. But what it practically looked like was there are days where you're going to feel like everything I have done has not worked. <laughs> and here I am again with no options. The difference is that I can look back and remember a moment in time where that wasn't true. Hey friends, welcome back to Treating Trauma's Stories of Healing. We are so grateful that you were with us today. We hope that you enjoyed last week's conversation. And today we've got another beautiful story of healing and the transformative work that takes place at Milestones for you today. In this episode, we are talking to alum Montana Christofferson about her healing journey, um, what brought her to Milestones, and the incredible work that's taking place in her life. And so we are so grateful that you're with us today. So get comfy, settle in, and join us for this inspiring conversation with Montana Christofferson. So welcome, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, I'm Christopher O'Reilly. I'm here with my colleague, Nicole Ingram. And our guest today is Montana. So Montana, it's so good to see you, to talk to you. Yeah, you as Thank you so much for being on. Yeah, of course. Happy to be here. Yeah, so Montana, um, we don't have a strong structure for this. I mean, we'll kind of take the conversation where it goes. But I I think maybe a good spot to start is if, if you're open to it, maybe just sharing a little bit about what led you to milestones. You know, that's an interesting question because I think, you know, it might prompt you to go way back or just maybe the months leading up to it. But, and I'd, I'd invite you to kind of, sh- you know, maybe take the question how you want to and kind of just maybe share with us a little bit about how that you got to that point. Yeah, yeah, Totally. Uh, it is definitely a, a loaded question on, on where to begin, but I would say just just shortly, I, I grew up in a household that was dysfunctional, like many of the rest of our households, and developed depression and anxiety and, and later found out PTSD as well, and sort of just struggled with that a lot of my youth and into early adulthood. Um, and eventually sort of got to a place where I, I really needed to share with another person the depths of the struggle that I was going through, and they recommended on-site. And so it's, it's kind of funny because my first experience with even milestones was actually from afar, was from the on-site, you know, top of the hill, as we say, part of the campus. And uh, I went to a living-centered program was there for a week and had a wonderful time. It was, it was incredible. I have nothing, nothing but greatness to say about that. And I met some people that are, are still to this day in my life. And I mean, to this day, it's only been since August. So I can't, I can't really say it's been Mm -hmm. years or anything, but um, still some very influential people in my life right now. And one of them actually suggested that I check out milestones and um, the week long program, like I said, was, fantastic. But I knew I needed a little bit more care, at least in terms of length of care. Um, I think quality of care is is fantastic across the board, but I needed a little bit more time. And yeah, from there it was, it was 
a little bit different than I think a lot of people that I have heard that have come into milestones where it might have been a quick process for them. Like they they learn about the program on Monday and they're they're on campus by Thursday. And for me, I actually took a couple months in prep to come. And it was I was so incredibly anxious about what it was going to be like to go into a residential treatment center. And you kind of hear a lot of maybe maybe some stereotypes or even just the taboo nature of what residential or rehab treatment can look like. So I was I was really nervous about that, but ended up coming at the beginning of October and stayed for 75 days. And yeah, it was it was an incredible process. So yeah, that's a little bit of of what initially led me to to get to milestones and then a whole separate process of how to decide when to extend. I think that's like a very important part of the process as well and a struggle that each client kind of goes through. Maybe struggle isn't the right word, but more just wrestles with that type of decision. And so, yeah, I stayed for 75 days and it was, it was a great time. Montana, for our listeners, do you want to explain a little bit about that concept? So you said you chose to stay 75 days. So I'm imagining um, you started experiencing some of the the depth, obviously, of the treatment and some of the benefits and the beauty of that and, and decided. So do you work with your team on deciding how long to stay or what was that process like? Yeah, completely. It was, it's definitely a combined um, or I guess a shared decision, uh, which takes a lot of pressure. If, if you're anything like me, I, I really struggle with making decisions, especially decisions that I feel like are quite important. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it was, you know, I talked to Christopher a lot about it. I spoke to my primary therapist, Terrence and Amanda. And I feel like honestly, by the end of 75 days, I had spoken to every therapist there. <laughs> and um, yeah, we, we sort of worked along, okay, maybe a 15 day extension is a good idea. But at the end of the day, it is, uh, of course, a personal decision and, you know, talk to my support family back home. But it is a, it's a thorough process that doesn't leave you feeling like I have to figure this out all on my own. Uh, which is mm-hmm. very nice. So that's awesome. Yeah, Montana, I'm excited to kind of hear or talk about, should I say, like your milestones experience. But I'm, and before we even get there, I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, you talked about struggling uh, before coming to milestones and talking to people about it. Like, what kind of struggles, if you don't mind me asking, like, were you having? I'm, I'm like curious, like, how maybe some of the, anxiety or depression was like impacting your life. Yeah, totally. And it's, it's hard to say exactly what made me then decide treatment was worth it. If that makes sense. Like I had, I had dealt with anxiety and depression for so long that it felt, I sort of got to a point where I was like, I guess this is just my life. Like this is just how things are going to be. And everything is going to feel sort of empty and numb and that's just my the cards that have been dealt for me and I guess I'll deal with it and so that that's the best way to describe what symptoms as far as symptoms looked like for me was a heavy depression that just it it did lead to have some suicidality uh, well some I should say a lot of it actually growing up was a, a big part of my life just the desire to escape and ultimately the feelings of of not wanting to be alive anymore and anxiety tended to persist in the form of 
somatic bodily experiences, which I think is an important symptom that's not often talked about. You hear a lot about, you know, oh, thoughts racing, mind is running, or I can't settle down, I'm constantly worried, which are all very valid symptoms. And for me, I did experience some of that, but most of it like lived in the body for me. Constant heart racing, had panic attacks, and just just an overall feeling of unsettled with within my own body. And it, it feels very foreign or I guess abnormal to to lay down at night and be like, I'm deeply uncomfortable with just the way that my body feels. And yet I I don't feel like I can attribute it to a certain circumstance. Looking back now, I can see, I'm sure probably everyone listening to this podcast has read The Body Keeps the Score, but I know I'm sure you two have as well. Reading that book and learning a little bit more about about how trauma is really held in the body, which is something I learned at Milestones, sort of opened my eyes to be like, oh, okay, that's not just, it's actually not normal to feel so unsettled in your body that you can't sleep at night or, or don't want to wake up the next morning. So it was, yeah, a lot of that. But like I said, I, I had those symptoms for so long. Um, it's even hard for me now to remember a time that I didn't have that. Uh, and I, I sort of grew up thinking just like, again, like I've just been born with this and I had been on some medication, didn't have much success with that, tried more medication. And, you know, it's a, it's quite a process to pinpoint what the symptoms were and eventually got to a point where it was like, I can't keep treating these symptoms. Like, I, I didn't feel right just, just thinking that I was either going to be numbed out on medication, which is not true for all medication. That just happened to be my experience on some medication in high school. I just wasn't content with that. And so uh, I got to a point where I've been talking to a therapist for many years, but hadn't really, I can't think of a, a better word than confessed, but sort of like truly deeply showed myself to another individual and was like, this is actually what I deal with every day. And I'm, I'm sick of it. Like it was a point of just like, I, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And then that, you know, that is what led me to, to go into treatment. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting concept to get to the point of treatment and a lot of people while I was in milestones would say something along the lines of like it's so brave that you're here at such a young age like I'm very impressed by that but the truth for me was was I was at a point of desperation like it wasn't so much about this brave decision to receive help though looking back now I can recognize that as there is courage in that and, you know, sort of admit or admitting and surrendering. But honestly, it was, it was just pure desperation. Like, I don't, I don't know what else is going to work. So that was kind of a long-winded answer. Sorry, Christopher. No, I love that. The thing that you said that really sticks out to me, Montana, is this idea that, like, when you let someone in and, yeah. like, to really see what's going on with you, what you're struggling with, what your day-to-day experience is, and I think when people have the courage to do that, Mm -hmm. even if it's out of desperation, Mm -hmm. um, that's when, you know, things start to shift. And uh, I'm just really glad that you had a good therapist that you could felt like comfortable enough to let them in, so to speak. And, and it led you to get the help that you needed. That's awesome. Yes. 
I was just thinking the same, the same thing in the sense that there, there's so much to be said for accountability. Like once you let someone in, once you actually show your full self and open up in that true, real, vulnerable way, I know that you, we talked a little bit before this thing you talked about, like fake sharing, sort of like dipping a toe in the water, like giving a little bit of a detail and then kind of like taking it back or whatever, almost to see like, can I trust can I trust you with my story and kind of doing that over the course of your life? And then finally actually advocating for yourself, almost like your body was taking care of you for so long. And finally you're like, okay, this is the moment I must show myself. And yes, to Christopher's point, like so grateful that you showed yourself to a person who was also going to advocate for you. And that's so beautiful. But also once you let someone in, it's kind of like now it now is the time to kind of start the process. And so I guess I'm I'm curious about after hearing about onsite after sort of that being like presented to you as an option did that feel scary to you like just even the option of going somewhere to actually tend to these things that you've been you essentially accepted as normal like part of your story which I I will say I think so many people resonate can resonate with kind of like guess this is just it for me I guess this is my life. This is the way I've been wired or whatever, kind of like, this is my default. And so I'm, I'm curious about that moment where you, you kind of said, okay, this is, I don't think this is it. I think I want, I want more. I want something different than this. And then what was the process of like, you know, willing yourself into that space to kind of be seen even in a, in a deeper way? Sure. Yeah, it was, it, it was terrifying. And I had, I had never heard of onsite before, uh, let alone experiential therapy. And so the first time someone was, was attempting to describe experiential or more specifically a psychodrama, they were like, you know, there might be some scarves and it's kind of like this role playing thing. And I was like, hold on, (laughs) what is going on? I don't, I, I don't want to do that. If you're telling me I need to reenact the traumatic events in my life, like I can't, (laughs) that feels re-traumatizing. I don't think I'm going to do that. And not that they were doing a a bad job of explaining, but when you have a perception of something in your mind, it it can totally block what is actually true. And so it it was scary. And I tried my best to not do too much research around it, which maybe feels a bit contrary to what, what would seem typical, but I knew that I could easily talk myself out of it. And I was like, I, I just need to just do it. And I had never been to Tennessee before. And, you know, you go without your phone for a week, which I, you know, for a young person or any person these days, like that, that alone is quite jarring. So I was like, I think, I think it's at the end of the day, it was worth the risk. Like I knew I had heard such high praises of onsite and the therapist there and um, just the just the group dynamic, uh, which is something I had also never never done any group therapy before, which is is quite intimidating. But I I tend to intellectualize a lot of my feelings, and so I kind of grew up grew up in the camp of overshare rather than undershare, and so that part didn't didn't scare me as much, but now realizing what I what I have done all these years was was like you had just mentioned Nicole was talk about my feelings but not feel them I didn't understand the difference and had many 
debates um, and conversations about it at milestones of like, I just don't understand. I think, I think I was sitting in, in your office, Christopher, and was like, what do you mean be present? Like, I, I can't, I physically cannot wrap my mind around what it means to just be like that. That made no sense to me. So g- group settings was like, oh, I can, I can do that. I have had no problems in the past sharing my story and, and talking about things, but then actually getting immersed in, in the feelings of it, which is, I think one of the many beauties of experiential work is, is you actually can't intellectualize anything. And the therapists are, are wonderful at just handling, maybe handling is, is not quite the right word, but walking alongside of you, if you, yeah, yeah, exactly. Just noticing when you start to go in that realm and can, can quickly get you right back into your feelings. And so, yeah, it was, it was a terrifying experience to think about. It was terrifying while I was there, but like I said, it was, it could be one of the most pivotal moments in my life for sure. Montana, you're, you've already, you've kind of started already, but I just, I'm like, how do you even describe or how would you describe your experience at Milestones? Like what happened from your perspective? And, and it's a big question. Maybe we can break it down, but I just, I think I would just love to try and put language around, you know, you, you get to milestones, you're the, at milestones, what happens there? And then we can talk about maybe life after milestones a little bit, but just how would you even start to kind of describe that experience? Even like, yeah. what does it look like when you roll up? Do you remember the right. way it looked, smelled, any of that stuff? Any sensory? Oh, yeah. I want the sensory because I'm like, I want to, <laughs> I really want to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I was in the Nashville airport and you get a, a driver will come pick you up in, in most cases. And I do remember the moment getting into the car and being like, oh my gosh, like I have no idea what's about to happen. But now all of a sudden I'm in Tennessee getting in a car with a stranger and driving to this place in Cumberland Furnace, wherever the heck that is. And uh, yeah, it's, well, it was a beautiful drive. I was very lucky to get there in October because all the leaves were changing and uh, the drivers, I mean, down to, down to the drivers, everybody feels very handpicked that works at onsite. And so I had, had a lovely experience just talking to the driver, sort of getting those initial nerves out. And then, yeah, I, I pulled up to the building and I think we did like an initial sort of medical type testing. You go over some paperwork with the nurse or Dr. Bomar, and then you get walked into the building. And I was walked into the building, showed my room, and I came back out into the kitchen. And I came into the kitchen, and then two people, which are still two people I, I continue to talk to every week, uh, walked into the kitchen and started talking to me. And I was just, like, hit with this. It's like a sense of community. It almost felt like you got into a new school where you're like, I don't I don't really know what's going on here, but these people seem to like it here. So I guess it can't be that bad. And um, yeah, it was just, just got to talk to everybody. And it, again, it's like, you're the new kid. Like everyone's like, where are you from? You know, what brought you here? And you, you sort of like get into it quite quickly there and shown to my room. And I was like, you know, these rooms are really nice. I feel very comfortable here. All your stuff is there. Like you have, a bathroom that you share with a couple people and 
And then I think, I think this is quite common. Everybody goes and takes a nap their first day because you're just still <laughs> overwhelmed with like, I've just walked into yes. this brand new place. I need to sleep for a second. And I came in on a Monday, which I, I highly recommend to admit on a Monday because you get the rest of the week. And I, I've seen a lot of people admitted, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whenever. But Monday was such a good day for me because I got to just jump right into the week. And Tuesdays and Thursdays is our individual days. And Monday, Wednesday, Fridays is group. There's other things that go on, but that's sort of like the hallmark of those of each day. And uh, Tuesday, I mean, you're just in it. All of a sudden, you're fully immersed in this experience. But it's not lonely, or I guess not as, as lonely as I was expecting. I, I definitely went in with like massive fears of, I'm not going to meet anybody. Like, what if everybody's weird? <laughs> and like, wh- what if I just don't get along or there's no one my age or, you know, I don't know, just, just all sorts of, of thoughts of, am I going to fit in? Which I think is, is also very true of, of trauma clients because you either spend a lot of your life not fitting in at all or a lot of your life forcing yourself to fit in. And you can't really do either of those two things when you're at Milestones because everybody presents themselves as their most authentic version. And everyone you meet, it's like, it's like you sign a pact. That's like, there is, there is nothing that I'm keeping from anyone and nothing that I'm afraid to share. And of course, like you have autonomy to share what you want to share, but it's like, you just go in thinking I'm meeting real human beings that are struggling in the same ways that I am. And I'm, and I'm not just like meeting a, a random person in the office. Like it, it feels very authentic. And so, yeah, the first week is, is an adjustment period of, of trying to figure out your dang schedule because it's packed. And yet there's a lot of times for rest as well. So it doesn't, it's not packed to the point of overwhelming, but it, it doesn't, what's great about the heavy schedule is you don't get stuck in periods of, of isolation or um, even just loneliness, you know, because you're away from everyone that you know and love and you're in a blackout period for five days. So you can't call anybody for those first five days. So it can seem from the outside, like it would be quite lonely, but I, and a lot of people, you just sort of jump right in and you're quickly enveloped into the community. Um, and that I think everybody would say this and it, it is very cliche, but it's so true. Like the, the community is like the secret sauce of what works so well at Milestones. And you just find your people. I mean, literally right now I'm sitting in someone else's apartment that I met at Milestones. Like the people you meet here are not are not people that are going to leave you, which not to say that people don't get busy and things happen and not every relationship is meant to last forever, but it feels like pretty certain you'll find your people there, which honestly gave me a lot of hope in the world <laughs> of like, Oh, okay. Maybe just maybe there are people out there and I'm not as alone as I believed for all these years. So yeah, the first week is a whirlwind, but it quickly becomes like, I've been here all along. Like I can't even imagine what it was like before. Like it just, it feels so, 
so homelike. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Montana, listening to you describe like your initial week or so, I'm like, I'm so grateful that that was your experience because one of the things like to kind of let you know from our perspective, like what we believe, we believe it's like critical to create an environment that is very safe, very like nurturing and supportive and very predictable. And it's almost like when you talk about the healing aspects of community, you know, we feel like there's healing aspects of creating an environment that allows people to, you know, feel that support, maybe like relax and not feel like stressed so that like if people can kind of get into that space, then they're way more likely to do really good therapy. And it's something that, um, you know, sometimes people try really hard to do good therapy on in an outpatient setting, but it's like very difficult to make deep strides because the environment that we can create at Milestones is very hard to have. Like when you got to go to work and you got kids and you got responsibilities in school and all that other stuff. So I'm sitting here as like a, a member of the team saying, oh, like, what we're trying to do is what you're describing. So I'm like glad that those are in line. Yeah, no, it, it definitely is. And yeah, it's funny that you bring up the outpatient setting because I've, I've recently decided to come back to milestones and that process has been a whole learning moment in and of itself. Um, and something I think worth mentioning because as much as I sort of got over whatever stereotype or beliefs I had about what residential treatment meant, still leaving it, it almost, it felt for, for a few weeks, like checked that box. Like I'm, I'm good. I'm completed with that work. And I did some outpatient therapy. I went to uh, an IOP intensive outpatient, did that for eight weeks and while meeting with an individual therapist and came to this conclusion again of like, Oh man, I don't think I'm done yet. And it was, it was tough. And to be honest, I still, still am wrestling with this idea of like, did I fail recovery? (laughs) Like, did I, did I do something wrong that has led me to need to come back again? And I know that that's not true. And I constantly like fight that belief and and reinforce it with the belief of, you know, this is still a part of my journey. And I've, I've sort of started using the language of like, that was, that was phase one of, of healing was going to residential for me. And I thought I was moving on to phase two, but actually I need phase one part two. And so coming back, the decision to come back was, was just as scary as the initial one. Ah, maybe not just as scary because now I, I know what I'm walking into and I know that healing is going to happen at milestones again for me, but it was, it was equally as tough, I would say of, of deciding like, okay, I'm, I'm not deciding that I'm a failure. In fact, I'm deciding the opposite that I still, I still want these, this contentment out of life. And I, I, I still want to heal 
And right now what that looks like for me is continuing residential. So yeah, I, I agree with you, Christopher, in that there is what makes residential really, really powerful, you know, besides the things we've already mentioned is just that you're in a, a cocoon of healing <laughs> and there is a time when you outgrow that and you go away, but in a way it's, it's like, it's not, it's not gone forever. Like it, it you carry a piece of it with you. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I really like what you said, Montana, about part two, because by no means will it feel like you're redoing because, you know, when you come back to milestones, it'll be like you pick up where you left off and you continue the progress. Like that's, that's what it will be for you. In my opinion, you know, you, you highlighted like a couple things earlier about just like the trauma that you've experienced impacted the way that you think and like the way that your body feels and like some of the sensations and things like that. Could you talk a little bit about if and how that changed while at Milestone? Like, I'm curious if you can kind of talk about your progress in that way. Yeah, sure. It feels, it feels weird to be like, I've made so much progress because I, I like, I don't want that to come across as like, great job, you know, but, but in reality, there was a ton of progress made. And I, I came in at the beginning thinking a lot of, there was a lot of core negative beliefs about myself, about the world, about how life was meant to play out for me and worked through a lot of those beliefs while I was there in, in form of, of various therapeutic models. But what changed for me in the biggest way or I guess the biggest marker of progress it was actually there was a very specific moment that I remember and I I just woke up one day and was excited (laughs) about what life could offer me and I would have told you weeks before that or months before that even years that excitement is just not a feeling I feel like I just that that's not for me. Like, I'm happy for you that you feel excited, but I just don't get excited. And, and it was sort of in my mind, like, well, I have a ton of evidence to support why I shouldn't be excited, actually, which was is quite sad to see. But I woke up one day and was like, it was like another decision had been made of like, it's worth it. This process of healing is worth it. But more than that, like, life itself was worth it again and not even again because it felt it truly felt like this was the first time I had ever felt that and I was I was standing outside and it was a beautiful fall day so obviously like of course this would happen yeah, on such a beautiful fall. day <laughs> yeah yeah the <laughs> leaves were falling and <laughs> it was it was just magical and it was like oh my gosh I I yeah I remember walking into Terrence's cabin and it was just like I'm cured <laughs> Like, you know, I've, whatever happens, like I can now fall back on that feeling. And I do, because there's plenty of days where it doesn't feel like I've made any progress at all. Like tons of days where I'm like, have I just gone back to the same place? And I think that is worth mentioning too, because a a lot of people, though people have maybe heard the phrase healing's not linear, that just kind of went over my head of like, oh, that's just another cliche that whatever isn't that helpful but what it practically looked like was there are days where you're gonna feel like 
everything I have done has not worked. (laughs) And here I am again with no options. The difference is that I can look back and remember a moment in time where that wasn't true. And I can revert back to that feeling. And, and it's just a reminder. It's just like, oh my gosh, okay, thank you for that. Like I can, and now whether today is going to turn out to be a good day or not, I know I've had at least one good day. <laughs> and of course I've had many, many more, but it was just like a very significant hallmark moment of, of my time there. And I think that happens for a lot of people in a lot of different modalities. That could be, you know, a psychodrama that happens that it's like, oh my gosh, for the first time I feel truly heard and seen and valuable. Or it could happen on adventure therapy. Again, when when we're outside and just like experiencing, whether it's a trust building exercise or a walk in Montgomery Bell, like there's, there's so many different opportunities for that moment to happen for somebody. And as much as like we can't guarantee anything, like I could almost guarantee that that you're going to go in and you will have one of those days, if not many of those days. Thank you for sharing that. That was so powerful. I, the way you said the word remember had so much, there's so much power behind that. And I just, I like really see you in that, that you realize the gift that is in remembering that you tasted a glimpse of what life, what the, the life that's possible for you, what life can be and feel like. And I love this idea that you kind of forged a family during your time at Milestones. And for perhaps those moments when you can't remember, they can actually help you recall what what you experienced and that you are actually utilizing the power of those moments to push you forward on the path in this, in this phase two, right? Phase one, part two, knowing that, that okay, there's, there's actually more possible. And I love, I would love to just explore a little bit more Christopher just did a webinar a couple of weeks ago. It was called Am I a Failure? And spoiler alert, you're not a failure. <laughs> no one's a failure. But it was the most highly attended webinar that we've done. And I think there's something to what you're describing. Like that is a very normal, regardless of the level of trauma we've experienced. Everybody has, you know, all our stories are fraught with different things, but that kind of idea that, oh, maybe I didn't, maybe I'm not enough. Maybe I didn't do it right. Maybe, maybe I failed treatment. Right. And I love that. It seems like with the tools that you learned in milestones, you really quickly kind of, even you can almost like self-counsel yourself right in the moment where you're like, gosh, did I fail? And then you're sitting here saying no, like that opened the door to you realizing that there's more work to be done. And I'm just so I'm so grateful to kind of be on the other end of you, even you, you speaking that over yourself and kind of sharing that with the listeners, like, no, there's more, there's work to be done and, and, and it can be done and it can be done in the context of a safe and loving and um, community driven environment. And so I just, yeah, I'm just really grateful for what you're sharing here. Thank you. Yeah. 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 The failure thing is, I think eats at you, whether, whether you've been to treatment or not, you know, it's, yeah. It's a constant thought. I'm sure that's why why you guys did the webinar. Yeah, and it's like, short answer is no, but there's actually a ton of reasons as why no is the yeah. right answer. I love that. Montana, when you and Nicole kind of gave examples of self-counsel, but like if you wake up and you're in that space, just not feeling like you've made much progress, do you have a strategy to kind of 
potentially still make that a good day? Like, do you feel like you're capable of that? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's hard, definitely hard to measure what, what makes a good day or, or not a good day. And so I'll, I'll even tell myself like today is just a day, you know, whether it's, you know, it, it can't be, can't be really defined because that's only going to trap myself more. But the biggest thing I do is, is probably just challenge every thought and take a thought, especially one that seems to be perpetually circling in my mind and take that thought and just really challenge the validity of it, you know, and, and see why is, why do I believe that's true? And most like most of the time it comes down to like, I don't actually know why I think this is true. It just feels like it's true. And I guess the first time I heard someone say like, you know, your feelings, they can be valid, but not accurate or not holding truth, I guess. Like whatever you're feeling is valid because that's your feelings. So you can't like, you cannot deny that, but, or I should say, and because that is quite a common, (laughs) common thing we say those feelings are valid and the thoughts attached to it might be maladaptive and, and might not be helping anything get better. And so whether it's saying them out loud, I definitely use like a few mantras that I, that I tend to say in the mornings and sticking to that routine of, of saying them, whether I'm having a good day or a bad day, just saying them on, on every day. Sometimes I'll write it down because that also seems to, to take it away. Sort of like, I definitely learned how to journal in milestones. I wasn't a big journaler before, but now it feels like something I can't go without. And I'll just start with a prompt that's like, I'm feeling this or start with that thought and just write out, just dump everything that comes with that. And then I can look back and start to use like a rational side of my brain that is potentially blocked by some maladaptive belief or thought. And if that doesn't work, then I can do definitely since a lot of my stuff deals with somatic, just taking some time to breathe, taking some, a mindful walk. I, I loved the labyrinth at milestones Went there all the time. I went on my very last day at sunrise and it was, it was awesome, but I don't have a labyrinth with me now, but I'll go outside or sometimes I'll, <laughs> I'll even just walk in circles and pretend I'm walking in the labyrinth. I, a lot of times I'll just like place my hand over my heart and just remember s- something else that is bringing me joy in that moment, whether it's the cup of coffee I'm about to drink or a memory of a time with a friend. Like it, the, the semantics of it don't quite matter. It's actually just like getting me out of that cycle of thoughts. In DBT, there's use of a lot of distractions specifically like some helpful distractions so that's like going out and talking with a friend over coffee I utilize a lot of the community at milestones so much in fact now I'm like I I don't actually know how I was living without all these people because we we have a a zoom call that we do every Sunday and there's usually anywhere between like six to 10 people, which is not everyone in the community, but schedules are busy, of course. And we take, we take about five minutes and everybody turns off their mic, except for the person talking and just like says what they're feeling. And, and there's no, it's, it's very much like we're back there and there's no like 
need to sort of offer some sense of fake doing well. And there's, there's a ton of celebration if you are, of course, but I've found there's a lot of us that are still struggling because we're still human and our time and milestones didn't cure everything. That's not what it's intended to do anyways. But yeah, utilizing friends to like, you know, I've, I have a couple people in my life very specifically that I'm 100% honest with 100% of the time and they'll help to listen, to offer reassurance, sort of like what you had, had just said, Nicole, like the accountability part of, of having true, real, deep friendships is that when you're not doing that great, you have told them enough of what has been great that they can offer that as a reminder. And so, yeah, that's sort of, sort of tends to be my routine of, of when I wake up and I'm not, not feeling the best. Wow. What a way to live, Montana. Like you just <laughs> encouraged and inspired probably every single person who's tuning into this. Like that's just mm. really beautiful. Yeah, definitely learned a lot of milestones that I have taken away. Besides, it's funny because those seem to be like two realms of, of therapy, at least for me, was the realm of like deep trauma work. Like we're going to do EMDR or brain spotting or psychodramas. And that is definitely getting to the root of it, but it, and it doesn't always fix the, the more like practical or I say smaller, but not meaning smaller in terms of validity, but, but smaller in terms of just like event size. And then, so then there's the other side of things where it's the, the lectures and adventure therapy or individuals that help target like what Malsons does so well is we're not, they're not just going to offer you advice that's sort of this general thing that leaves you wondering, well, how am I supposed to do that? Like, I understand that I need to change some of these thoughts and behaviors, but how? I think a lot of people are, are left in that in some outpatient settings because you just don't have the time to dive deeper into those whys and hows. But the lectures, like I mentioned, the, the other therapeutic models really do a good job of like, we're going to like dive as deep down into this minuscule thing that is actually impacting your life in this huge way. And you're going to be able to walk away and maybe not never have those problems again, but in fact, learn how to cope with it in a way that's not going to be in any form of destruction or, or maladaptive. And, and I don't know if everyone listening knows, but you know, like when you talk about the difference between like deep trauma work and like, day-to-day like skill building and just how to manage stress, you know, and they're, they're absolutely correlated too. Right. Because I think like unresolved trauma can create a sense of discomfort and anxiety and day-to-day stuff. But, you know, we certainly see the value in approaching both and and that kind of works together. So I love that. Montana, any other like aha moments that you like can recall from your time at milestones that would be worth just, sharing with our audience? Mm, I remember I had just gotten out of an individual therapy session with Terrence or, or we were sort of on the tail end of it. And I was really struggling like in a spiritual sense with just wondering why, why even, even if I'm supposed to be at treatment and, and supposed to be healing, like sort of what's the point still? 
Like what, what is all making this happen? And I, we were standing outside and we were looking at the trees and Terrence said something along the lines of like, why does a tree grow leaves? Like, why did the leaves fall? Why do they decompose and then, you know, provide nutrients for other animals or life? And it was such like a simple analogy of like, why do things happen? And, and the answer really was just like, because they're supposed to. And, and it was, it really came down to like a sense of self-worth at that point. But it was such a moment of like, uh, it's almost like you don't want to admit that maybe why you're meant to be healed is because you deserve to be healed. I, it, there, for me, there was like a bit of stubbornness behind that of just like, that can't be the reason. Like that just can't be. And putting in perspective of, of nature like that completely opened up my eyes to be like, I still don't know if I'm ready to believe that about myself, but I'm more open to the idea now. Because I, I am understanding, yeah, it was like, well, I'm still going to be a little stubborn here, but <laughs> um, I'm more at a place of acceptance. And I think that's what a lot of healing comes down to is accepting, accepting where you're at and accepting that, that you don't have to stay in that place forever. A lot of things come down to this root core belief. And, and for me, it was that belief of like, I guess I just don't deserve to be okay. And so there, there's a moment in a lot of psychodramas, um, not just unique to mine, but where the whole community surrounds you and you're, you're standing next to Bobby and probably crying at that point, honestly. <laughs> Maybe you're holding hands into the, like, the person you have picked to be your younger self and the community starts saying sort of affirmations, but very like specific to what your needs are at that moment. And uh, it like takes my breath away to think about because you're just there and everyone is like, you deserve to be happy or you, you deserve good things or you're not alone or you're not crazy. Like <laughs> you are a valid human being that deserves love and you're just sitting there taking it all in. And it is quite overwhelming, but overwhelming in the sense of like, I'm getting so filled up right now that it is over overfilling at this point. And there w I had one of those moments like very early on and it, it was another moment that just enhanced like the community experience for me because psychodramas are so intimate. Yeah, that was, that was really great. And, and another just great moments are just like our, our free times in the evenings. I did everything from ping pong tournaments to playing salad bowl in the great room hearing people play the piano or play the guitar watching films like more and more that's just this intense bonding with people that is like oh first if you're someone like me who maybe didn't grow up with a family that felt loving and supportive it's like truly rebuilding those narratives and and in a in a space that there's definitely moments where you're like, I never want to leave. <laughs> Please don't make me go. Um, and then moments of like, this is actually really hard. I think I need a break now. So you kind of feel the full spectrum of all of that. Wow. 
Montana, I'm just like, I'm thinking about how like, it's almost like you talk about these corrective experiences where, you know, you have people in this psychodrama letting you know that you're worthy of like love and healing and connection. And then these moments of connection more casually. And like, again, if you're somebody that grew up in a dysfunctional family or had these traumatic experiences, it's not uncommon for that to make you think that you're not worthy and that life is not fair and that you can't trust people. And so to start to trust and to start to feel worthy and I mean, that's healing. Like that's just such a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's so powerful. Montana, you've shared so beautifully, so many aspects of what treatment looks like and at milestones. Can you what would you say to someone who maybe was kind of in a similar moment as you before you, maybe even before you shared your full, like full self with that person who recommended onsite? What would you say to them if, if they, they hear this and this sounds, there's so much of it that sounds like, okay, I'm interested in that. Psychodrama sounds scary. <laughs> Holding hands with people. And showing mm-hmm. my full self sounds scary. What would you say to them? Because you're clearly on the other side of this beautiful experience, but you know what it's like to be on the other side. So just love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I think I think I would say, well, uh, what I would say is just like, you are worth having a life that is, fulfilling and all the things that have happened to you that you've experienced and all the pain that you've gone through is not what is it for you and it's it's not going to be an easy process by any means and it's it's going to feel really tough but it's actually a moment of in, incredible self-investment. And, and what was true for me is like, I couldn't get to a point of like expressing love for another person because I was so, I was so deep in, in the depths of pain and suffering that it, it grew beyond myself. It was just like, now, like you had said, Christopher, I, I see the world as mistrustful or, or see the, also the world is not worth it. And the truth is that the self-healing you'll do is not just impacting yourself. It's an investment in the future. And like, I, I fully believe that if everybody could go to residential treatment, like imagine what the world could look like. So, yeah, I would just say, like, it's an investment that's worth it. And uh, I'm not even speaking monetarily. I, I just mean the healing investment. And it's like, there comes a point where you have to decide, is, is this going to be enough for me? Like, is the way I'm living good enough? And for me, it wasn't. It just wasn't. And And you have to if you struggle with self-worth, then maybe thinking like an investment in myself doesn't quite seem like enough. So I had to put it in the frame of like, this is also going to affect other people, whether it's like the relationships I'm going to have with my friends and family, or, you know, hopefully my 
future kids one day or you know how how I'm going to live in a space and how I'm going to be a proactive member of society is actually very inhibited by my pain right now and so I need to do something about that so yeah I think taking it if you can look inward first that's the way to go in terms of like yourself is worth it but if you struggle with that and need to look that the world is worth it or my family's worth it then I think that's another great way to go so good I'm like speechless that's like that's like a great (laughs) way to kind of close to it Montez, is there anything else that is on your mind? Anything? I mean, I just so appreciate this conversation. I think it'd be very helpful for people to hear. And I just appreciate your willingness to do it with us. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you so much for having me. I think I've loved the podcast so far and the very clinical approach. Nicole and I, were when we were talking a couple of weeks ago, it was like, I think, I hope that there's, there's value in hearing the client side of things. And I think my biggest hope was like, is just to, just to destroy any, any like preconceived notions about what residential holds. And we've already mentioned this before, but it's worth repeating that going to residential does not make you a failure. And it, it doesn't mean that you're sort of like, this ostracized part of society that, you know, needs intensive treatment and therefore isn't okay. It's like, I I consider myself lucky. Like that's the truth. It's just, I feel incredibly lucky that I had the opportunity to go and again, feel like if everybody can go, that would be just amazing. For the listeners, I just want to say I'm just beaming ear to ear. Like no one can see (laughs) my face. (laughs) But this is just, yeah. Christopher said it. These words are so profound and so encouraging and inspiring. And I'm just really grateful that you wanted to share this with us today. So, yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. If you or someone you love is struggling with the negative effects of unaddressed trauma, the safety, community, and expert care of the residential experience at Milestones may offer the individualized help and healing you need. Milestones is a -a one-of-a-kind holistic and specialized residential trauma treatment experience, serving individuals adversely affected by symptoms of unaddressed trauma, including anxiety, depression, codependency, and PTSD, This innovative and integrative program offers a variable length of stay from 30 to 90 days specific to individual needs. When life feels like too much, Milestones offers a refuge and a place of healing. Learn more at experiencemilestones.com. Also, we would love to help you explore the right option for you. You can connect with our admissions team for a confidential call at 1-800-341-341. 7432. That's 1-800-341-7432. Or you can email them at admissions at onsiteworkshops.com. Healing is possible and you deserve this.